Check the circuit. All operating, sir. It can't be the screen, then. And uh, with those words, <laughs> an empire of glory was launched, except not really because this pilot was rejected initially by the networks. But, hey, just for fun, I wanted to give everybody what would have been the first words of the Star Trek franchise, as spoken by Mr. Spock. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Sorry for that slight distraction to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, episode number three. Uh, this week, if you listened last week or you've been checking social media, you'll know that this week we're having a bit of a deep dive because of mm. the nature of my special guest. We're going to be looking at the um, pilot episode of the original series, though, as I say, initially unaired, The Cage. Uh, and yep. would you like to introduce yourself, special guest, and why uh, why we're devoting the whole <laughs> podcast to this? <laughs> Hello, my name is Will, and if you listen to these podcasts from Mike and also listen to his previous endeavours, but got fed up of the sound of me, Unlucky, I am back on this as well. It's a bit different, of course, like Mike just said, because I've not actually watched Trek. So this was my first experience um, with Trek. But, of course, did know um, one certain character. That's cool. Well, um, before we go any further, then I will start with what will be a much shorter first section, because the first section, uh, as established in the first couple of episodes, will be the section that I like to call Healing Frequencies Open. Uh, mm. And that's just a kind of getting to know you. Normally, it would be a question of asking the guests sort of how they came to Star Trek and what some of their favorites are. But in your case, it's obviously just a matter of uh, what I did want to mm. ask was, did you have any particular desire to visit Star Trek before becoming friends with me? And were you aware of it before mm. knowing my sort of insane mad fandom and what were you aware <laughs> of? <laughs> uh, so I know my grandparents really enjoy it. Yeah. I live with them. So on the odd occasion, I'd walk in and they're watching it and I see Spock who is just iconic uh just on the screen and i thought oh my god that guy's got funny ears doesn't he and i was just (laughs) but i guess that's why he's so he stands stands out so much because of his slightly off appearance and i really like that um but other than that not really i haven't watched again this is the first time i watched it from start to finish and um but since i did become friends with you and you of course mention it a lot i just thought one eventually i will get round to it mm-hmm. and um this is kind of like piqued my interest because as you'll find out i did like the the episode the pilot uh spoiler alert but <laughs> that did its purpose in making me interested in uh what else is to come and how mm-hmm. the like the scenes are reintroduced in um series one and mm-hmm. be really intrigued to know how uh, they are introduced or what's a bit different because I know Doctor Who had a pilot, but that mm. was actually aired. Like it was aired at this first episode, but this wasn't actually aired until like the eighties, like until mm. like however many series have gone by. So yeah. I think it's played its part in making me interested, but it wouldn't have worked like that for the original people who um got brought up like you. Well, no, that's the thing. It actually did work that way for me because I'm I'm of that age that uh, my mum Again, this is stuff I've already mentioned, but my mum subscribed to Britannia Video and the first volume that she got had The Cage because it was the first time it was available on an old videotape. Um, so it was the kind of first one that I 
it wasn't it wouldn't have been the first episode I watched because I'd have watched some as a kid, like in passing when I was doing other stuff and that, but it was the mm. first one I kind of sat down and actually watched and that really caught my imagination. So it kind of did work that way for me. Um mm. but what I did want to get into is, is a bit about that, a bit about the history of this episode, because it is kind of unique in that way. Um in that as you say, it didn't actually air. The very first episode of Star Trek to have aired was actually not any of the pilots that were filmed. It was a random episode called The Man Trap, uh, which a lot of uh, Trekkies will tell you this. They all know it. But the uh, second pilot that was filmed that got the series picked up after this is called Where No Man Has Gone Before. And it's basically a lot more action-packed and has crazy people getting taken over and developing psychic powers and stuff. So um, it was very different. But that was because... Uh, when this was screened for sort of the executives at what I think was NBC, whatever the network was, yeah, yeah. Uh, they rejected the show initially based on this pilot saying that it was too slow, too cerebral, and there wasn't enough action and they couldn't sell it, um, which was a shame. I don't personally agree with that, but that was their I decision. Do. But... I do. I agree with that it's a bit slow, but what do you mean by cerebral? Because I kind of Google Cere- that because I heard about that, but I'm not sure. Of the That's the, the big word that comes up. It just basically means it would be too intelligent for the the average audience member to necessarily follow along with, which I don't that, think it is. That makes sense for the 60s. You got, you got uh, I guess, yeah, but these are kind of... I suppose science fiction may not have been in the forefront, but these aren't really... To us, these aren't crazy ideas. I don't didn't have any trouble following what was happening or anything, yeah. I guess. But uh, no, 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 no. And as I say, when I get into it, um, you'll see that this story did exist in the original series because, as you alluded to, um, this pilot was filmed, made completely, but was rejected. Another pilot was filmed and the series got picked up, but obviously there was changes. The entire cast and crew, with the exception of Mr. Spock, uh, didn't return for the actual main series. Uh, so yeah. it was a completely different crew, although there is actually Good. one... <laughs> there is um, one returning actor, the actress, I should say, who played number one, uh, is actually an actress called Majel Barrett, who's the first lady of Star Trek, was married to Gene Roddenberry, uh, and she did return to play Nurse Chapel in the original series. Different character, but same actress. Uh, so, yeah, slight differences. But uh, what uh, what this kind of episode became famous for is, for a while, it was the only kind of lost Star Trek episode in the same way that we as Doctor Who fans know that they had lost episodes and stuff. Uh, and the reason for that is that during production of the first series of the actual original Star Trek series, uh, they were running low on budget and time, basically. They had not enough of either to be able to put an episode on one particular week, and they knew they had this episode sitting completely filmed and ready uh, that they could use footage from. And so there's the only two-part episode of the original series called The Menagerie, uh, which actually has a framing device, a story around it about how Christopher Pike has become injured, and you'll probably have seen the famous scene of him in the wheelchair. He can only sort of bleep once for yes and twice for no kind of thing, but Mm. he's injured, and kind of Spock wants to decide to take him back to Talos, uh, because even though the missions are top secret and classified, he knows that that he'd have a better quality of life there. So it basically forms the structure of a courtroom uh, hearing on board the Enterprise, but on which the view screen just basically shows images, like uh, clips from the cage, part of the episode, uh, so as a result, to get that, what they had to do was take the original camera negatives and just cut it apart because it was only 1966 or whatever. Um, so it was all cut up into bits. And for a while, they didn't have anything other than the bits that were aired during that uh, menagerie episode of the original series. Uh, so they didn't have the full version of the cage. There was bits in between that were missing and they went missing completely, were gone. Uh, eventually, they found the black and white version of it. And there was a version pieced together that did like the rounds on conventions and stuff that was 
colour where they had existing footage and then just dropped into black and white where they didn't, um, which is not great. It never was commercially available, but you can. If, like me, you have the Blu-ray set of Series 3 of TOS or the whole thing, it's on there. Not recommended, to be honest. It's a bit jarring. Um, but yeah, eventually, come the 80s, somebody found the original colour negatives in full Doctor Who missing episode style, and the rest is history. The cage was recovered, it was remastered and everything, and now we have updated effect versions and everything. So that was Guess who's done their homework? <laughs> I happen to know this already because I'm a bit of a Star Trek man. I'm sure all the Trekkies will know, but it was more just to inform you because you're a kind of first-time viewer mm. um, of kind of the amount of lore that has come from this one rejected episode is insane because there's that episode yeah. of the original series, uh, the sort of story around recovering it because nobody had seen it and it was all an amazing thing. And then here we sit now, 55 years after the original pilot was rejected, and we are about to launch the series that that pilot would have made because the adventures that immediately followed with Christopher Pike, the USS Enterprise, and at least most of these crew are about to start next year in a, a series entitled Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So it would have only taken 56 or 57 <laughs> years from pilot to series. Something of a record, I think, but uh, yeah. we are going to get that eventually. So it's just crazy to me that the that this one little thing sparked all that. But that's a bit of a deep dive. Again, all the trackies that are listening are rolling their eyes going, yeah, we know, get on with it, get on with it. But if you didn't, I think it's a bit of interesting uh, information and it helped fill out the healing frequencies open section. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, so did you have any thoughts about any of that that you uh, are you amazed um, to hear about it? Or? <laughs> I did hear that there were two pilots. Mm. But one of my first notes for the actual review actually was, is there two versions of this pilot? There's or multiple versions. Effects? Yeah, yeah and it's I'm just, not sure which yeah. one I looked at on um, Netflix because I watched want... it on Netflix as normal. And then I skimmed through uh, Daily Motion on my notes mm. and I just noticed the special effects were far better on the Daily Motion version. Yeah, I was just going to get to it. The, 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 um, the one they have on Netflix, I noticed, was the original version. So that was the version as filmed in 1964. Uh, all the effects are the same as then. But they did, when they upgraded, because um, for sort of Blu-ray release, they've updated the effects on the entire original series, and that does include the cage. Uh, so mm -hmm. there is an actual sort of remastered version that is also on the, again, it's the Series 3 or the full series, in my case, of the original series Blu-rays. Uh, so, yeah, when I came to watch The Cage, I was like, ha, three versions. <laughs> what am I going to do? But the fact that I knew you'd yeah. be watching the one on Netflix, I was like, okay, I'll watch the one with OG effects. But um, given that I have knowledge of the updated effects, I can kind of compare and contrast as we go along as well. So Absolutely. That's cool. Um, well, Yeah, so I, I only watched one version of it like on netflix uh, i'm guessing that's the original effects uh, yeah. one but then i also skinned through again the daily mission version which was the better effects version and i mm. thought oh that wasn't in the netflix version for example there was a scene uh where uh christopher pike i believe his name is mm -hmm. he, he kind of wakes up and looks at his surroundings and we've got a pan shot going from left to right and in that pan shot we have like one of those bear creature things and we also sh see shadows on the walls and also like uh, sound effects just to make it seem scary yeah but in the netflix version you don't get that bit it's like he wakes up looks around we get the um like the wide shot mm. of um like the cave from behind uh mm. pike and i just think that scene wasn't there yeah that adds a lot so i think the netflix netflix should update the bet uh, to the better version in my opinion like I'm guessing it's because yeah. they want to keep it retro, they want to keep it original, but I don't think it is half as good as the special effects version, the little I've seen of it. 
Yeah, well, I'll be honest. There's, I'm currently watching through the original series, and I'm using the remastered versions, even for episodes that I've either not seen or have only barely seen. But because I'm kind of the completest that I am, if it's an episode I've never seen and I'm curious what the original effect looks like, you can just go on YouTube and type in the episode title and remastered, and it will just show you the effects, like a, mm. a left to right, what they originally were, what they are now comparison. Um, so rather than watching the whole episode all over again, you can kind of see, ah, oh, that was the original one, and this is much improved for most of the time, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think the enhanced effects on the cage really do uh, make a huge difference because things just look better. Although, like I said, I think... I'll probably get to it, but I think a lot of the effects for 1964 when they were filming uh, are actually pretty dang impressive anyway. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially when you compare it to, like you say, if it would be the second season of Doctor Who that it would be airing concurrently with if they had kind Consider of... Compare it to, like, Planet of Giants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see the massive yeah. cat, I mean, yeah, it looks awful. Yeah, uh, not just because it's in colour, but anyway. Um, so I'll move us on to the next section now. This is going to be a little bit different. Um, so normally it would be the hit or miss section. Uh, and I've decided that I will go ahead with a version of it because it's the kind of... Um, okay. it, it's the format that I've decided upon. But obviously, you've only seen this episode. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so to ask you things about the entire Trek universe at large would be silly. And so what I've done is... And yes, nitpickers, this will technically form part of the review. Just think of it as a kind of intro to it or whatever if you want. But what I've done is I've picked five things from the cage that I want to ask if you think they're a hit or a miss and why. And then I can chime in with my opinions. But my particular view will also be based on things that might have occurred after that, for example, that uh, you wouldn't have seen. But I can kind of chime in with my two cents about for the general audience. Um, Okay, Duke. So... Uh, you don't have any clue what they're going to be, but they're going to be pretty bleeding no obvious, to be honest. <laughs> I'm bloody sweating. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing on the list, hit or miss, Captain Christopher Pike. <sighs> like when you mentioned about how none of the original crew like came back on the cast, I mean, in terms of like mm. the crew on the spaceship come back, yeah, and yeah. I thought, I thought, yes, thank God. Um, I don't know how it would have played out if he had come back. But in this, again, I've got to mention it, the performances were not bad, but there was just none that were remarkable, in my opinion. There were none like, wow, that is a performance and a half. There's nothing like you'd compare to the best Trek has to offer, I'm sure. Or I'm not sure, I'm just having a guess, because I'm Mm. sure that Star Trek has offered far better performances in this. And I think Pike is the like the leader is the leading performer in this episode in in the pilot episode, whatever you want to call it. And um, I think I did make a point of it in my conclusion, but you'd think in the pilot where you got to have us like a standout story, a standout performance that the actor would give it their all. And I don't think he did that. He was very one, one beat. He was very um, unextraordinary. And I think that, kind of deteriorated from his character quite a bit and i'm not sure if he was recast that character or if it was just scrapped him it was just a pilot thing um but for for that reason i would give him a soft miss okay uh first of all he he was recast um and that's when obviously william shatner as captain kirk came in there's debate about whether whether he personally rejected the role uh which i think was the i've read that the, the prevailing wisdom for a while was that he said he was too busy and didn't want to do it. 
Uh, now it's starting to come out that some people are saying he was actually not invited back by Roddenberry and company. Uh, whatever the case, he didn't carry on. But um, mm. yeah, <laughs> not to get into a huge clash, but I, I'm going to massively disagree with you on this one. Oh. I actually think this is one of the strongest Trek performances. I really like it. Um, I think uh, the scenes of like Pike in his quarters actually feeling the weight of command is one of my favorite scenes in just general Trek because it's not necessarily what you expect. Mm. It's got a bit of weight and gravitas. And I do think it's it's a story that completely foregrounds his performance and that character because it's all about him and like trying to, you know, he, he's so world weary at first and then gets shown all of his fantasies and can have anything he wants, but realizes that, you know, in the end, you've got to live your life as he says, bruised knees and all otherwise you'll just stagnate and it's it's no life to live um so i i kind of related to it and did like the character um i think the trek universe at large picked up on him as a kind of great moral ideal as well because um yes. yeah, yeah. he has since become uh the character i should say returned in the uh rebooted kelvin timeline movies they're known as but that's basically just, he's entirely there just to recruit Kirk. He doesn't have a lot of character, um, but he did return in Discovery, uh, Star Trek Discovery Series 2 uh, and became an immediate fan favorite as played by Anton Mount because he was the breath of kind of Starfleet morality that I think that show needed uh, at that point in its time. And he, uh, yeah, he did a great job and that's why obviously he's got his own series now. Uh, and so I have to say <laughs> a massive hit yeah, for the character. Um, but again, you you know, you're entitled to your opinion if you didn't like it in this I, I will then. get into it during the review section. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, and again, you wouldn't obviously know the other appearances of the character, so that's Precisely. fair enough as well. Um, and again, yeah, uh, not that there's a huge performance to put on the poor guy, uh, Sean Kenny, who plays the role of the disfigured Captain Pike in the Menagerie, I think also is good with what he's given, which is basically just sit there, look disheveled and press a button every now and then. Mm. But uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on then, uh, number two on the list is Hit or Miss Spock. <clears throat> Hit. Oh, good. Very good. I did make a po uh, point in my notes again that um, I did see some reviews and people were saying they weren't too happy about his characterization in this compared to, uh, you know, the future. I have, uh, series I have thoughts come. on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, positive or negative, I'm sure um, you what? might disagree with them. But yeah, again, it's like my only like thought of Star Trek before this, and just when I saw him on the screen, I was like, yes. Uh, so I am too too much of him. He definitely wasn't like the lead leading performer. That was definitely no. uh, definitely Jeffrey Hunter, or I think that's his name. That's right. Um, yeah, right there. Yeah, but yeah, I, I do like his uh, persona. I like the scene, especially in this in the cage, where it's like the alien blue plant. And he Ooh. just touches the plant and he's like smiles at that and he just like yeah that was a really nice moment and the singing again, plant yeah yeah even though I haven't watched uh, any Star Trek except from this one it's probably kind of weird to say nostalgia wise yeah because it's a hit. it's an iconic um, image sure. I mean uh, I remember I was watching a kind of behind the scenes thing years ago where they said even if you've never watched a single episode of Star Trek you know who Captain Kirk is you know who Mister Spock is you know beam me up Scotty and all that so there's things that have become culturally known even if you don't know them if you know what i mean so yeah i can completely yeah. relate to that that's something that you would have as a touchstone to recognize in an episode where nothing else would necessarily be recognizable so yeah it makes sense um yeah i'm gonna go ahead and see i think the character of spock first of all is definitely a hit uh anyone who knows me will know he's probably my favorite character in the entire franchise in all the various iterations 
Uh, I did want to talk a little bit on the character in the cage, though, which is that initially I probably would have called the character in that one episode a miss, uh, because as you mentioned, the character uh, sort of smiles and laughs at the singing Talosian plant and stuff, which doesn't jibe with the character as he's supposed to be, as we see in the series, which is, oh, you know, he, he wants to be a Vulcan. He's not supposed to display emotion, etc. Um would have more of a problem with that, except that, again, Star Trek Discovery Season 2, many, many decades later, actually explains it. Uh, and, again, we should remember that Spock is only half Vulcan. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, slightly less of a big deal, perhaps, that they display a, a little emotion every now and then. Um, but, yeah, you can see... I, I remember reading about this pilot, and you can definitely see that, initially, the idea about the Vulcans and Spock being emotionless wasn't there, because the character that was supposed to be stoic and computer-like was number one. You see, uh, the, with, I did not know that before. Like with that context, I can kind of see. I can appreciate why the fans would not like that, but just like a first-time viewing, like yeah. it was unremarkable. Anyway, in terms of like performance, his character wasn't given much. Yeah. So just to have that little nice moment, I just thought added. Oh okay, yeah, I agree. It yeah. makes it worthwhile being in the episode. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, the fans and the people behind the show love the little... They're supposed to be singing plants, I've mentioned a couple of times, but you can't really get that impression in this episode. I do. Because uh, it just seems like background noise to me. But again, uh, when they do eventually return to Talos 4 for the only ever time in Discovery Season 2, you do see those singing plants again. And there is a little callback as the, the lead character kind of smiles at them and everything. So I think it's a, it's an established and acknowledged scene, but it's understandable that, yeah, they hadn't written that character as they were meant to be, because as I said... The female first officer was going to be the emotionless uh, computer-like one, but obviously that was one of the notes that came from the network was, are you kidding? We can't have a female in a position of command. It's 1960, whatever it is. So, yeah. Which was a shame because, again, that character took off and, and has been popular even, you know, despite only having this one appearance. But, you know, times change, mm -hmm. and thankfully we, uh, we've we devolved. We've evolved beyond that. <laughs> we've evolved, evolved, yes. yes. <laughs> um, but, in yeah. some cases. Uh, I, I I could be here all day for the rest of Spock, but just suffice to say that, uh, yeah, Leonard Nimoy, absolutely the pinnacle, his entire struggle with his humanity and his Vulcan side throughout the entire franchise. Zachary Quinto in the reboot movies, same, exact, fantastic job. Mm. Uh, and then Ethan Peck now in Discovery and Strange New Worlds, giving it a, even a little bit more of that struggle and more of that humanity, absolutely top notch. I think the casting has never missed. I think the character is the most interesting one the franchise has. So that's why I would go hit for Spock as well. Fair enough, yeah, <laughs> um, I agree. Uh, we've touched on this a little bit already, but number three of the hit or miss is the character of number one, the female first officer. Uh, so she is the black-haired woman? That's correct, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I give her a hit. I think she's a powerful lead character. I think she's very... She's got a really good screen presence in this, actually. Yes. Um, I think she's a competent ac actress, absolutely. And um, again, actually, I was about to say something there, but I actually disagree. I think she was actually given quite a bit to do compared mm. to some of the others in this uh, story. And her mm -hmm. kind of intuitiveness to actually kind of deploy the, the weapon at the end to yes. kind of as a bargaining chip or whatever. I was just going to say that's my I favorite really part like of that him. character. Yeah, the fact yeah. that she, she takes the initiative to say it's wrong to build a race of people to be slaves and then sets the phaser to overload, which is... Yeah. It's it's easy to skip past that with modern eyes, but like I said, in 1960-something, a female character taking mm. that level of initiative would have been probably quite shocking. Yeah, <laughs> so, and I, I hate to say it, but I can't remember the ginger hair woman's name. Her name was Yeoman Colt. Like, she is what um, number one could have been, and I'm glad she yeah. isn't. I, I agree. That's uh, all I can yeah. really say. So I it's a hit for me. Yeah. 
sorry. Agree with everything you've said. Basically, yeah, Yeoman Cult is a little bit of kind of the sexist attitudes of the time where it's all just, you know, um, boobs and bum and walking around and, oh, I'm I mean, so sorry, I, I shouldn't be on the bridge. And, you know, oh, she's got unusually strong female drives and she fancies you and whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't love that level of sexism. Yeah. But again, thankfully, we've evolved beyond it. And um, and yet, number one, yeah, as I said, the fact that it's Majel Barra and, again, you wouldn't know this, but the sheer level of respect that the Trek fandom holds for her, having played multiple roles across the entire franchise, including I the voice that, of yeah. uh, the voice of every Starfleet computer for pretty much three or four of the main series. Um, mm. So yeah, great actress, fantastic presence that you can already see here. Uh, and like I said, easy to miss perhaps with modern eyes, but that character surprisingly kind of strong, you know, cliche, but strong independent woman that can actually stand up for herself and, you know, even in those times, I hate the line about, oh, I can't get used to a woman on the bridge. But even then, he says the exception is number one because, you know, she earned a place there and she is a woman doing it for herself, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, uh, the recasting, I don't think was terrible. Rebecca Romaine plays the character now uh, in Discovery Strange New Worlds. And she's good. She's no Majel Barrett, obviously, but she does a serviceable job. Um, mm. And now, again, after five and a half decades, we finally have a name for the character, which apparently is Una Chin Riley. That was okay. worth waiting almost six decades for, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not. <Christ. but> never <laughs> mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So number four on the list, anyway, uh, is the Talosians, the alien uh, menace, I guess, if you have so hit or miss. Uh, the Megaminds. The Megaminds, indeed. I did make a few points about this in my review, so I'll probably okay. leave it for then. Right, um, okay. But I do like their design. I'll say that much. Yes, definitely. And I think they're decent villains. And I think the use of uh, telepathy mm-hmm. is really good. And I did see um, someone review it. And I think they said something along the lines of uh, Trek doesn't actually have like proper aliens in the series at least early on so yeah. to have this like alien like hu- humanoid yes but more like alien uh kind of look is actually a really strong point of this um episode so i i've got to agree just with the ignorance that i haven't seen the actual series so again yeah. that's probably another positive that i'm sure you'd agree with maybe uh yep. but yeah yeah <sighs> i don't even know what <sighs> There's some pros and there's some cons with them. Okay. I think they were de- defeated pretty easily mm. in terms of the tele- telepathy and whatnot. But I see, yeah. I, I'd give it a soft hit, but okay. I dabble on soft miss as well. They're not they're not like a strong hit. Okay. Um, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, that's I, I can see where you're coming from in the regard of the level of power that they have at the end is very much like, oh, you dealt with it very quick, but I think they get around that with the fact that they're more moral than you think they are. But again, I'll get into yeah. that a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, I like it because I just really like this design. But I can't tell if it's actually like really impressive and iconic or if it's just the fact that I was 10 years old and it's the first like alien thing I'd probably ever seen on TV that I'd sat down and watched. So I was like, that's insane. And I do love that um, you may have come across this in your research, the idea that to make them even more alien, they are female actors in the prosthetics, but males doing the voices. Uh, which gives you that, yeah, which gives you that level Holy of disassociation crap. that I think is just like it makes them just weird and alien enough 
that you're like, ooh, there's something weird. That voice doesn't match that appearance. I did not. I, I, no, I didn't get that impression at all. I thought they were men. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> no, the, uh, in this episode, they're all women, but again, the men do the voices. Um, although there is a story about they had to change the voice of the head to Lotion. Uh, to sound more high pitched because the actor who did that voice appeared in the menagerie in a different role and it would have been confusing. And I'll not get into that, that's a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, I just like the look, design of the Talosians. And I did make a note earlier that the only other time Star Trek has had them appear, and it's only once, was very recently in Discovery. And mm. it's quite telling that they look worse despite the fact that it's it's well over five decades of advancement. And yet they've overdone the makeup and stuff on the new ones that I don't think. Like, they don't look as good. They could have just stepped with the original look, I think. Um, and they don't. In that case, they do kind of just cast men and have men voicing, so there's not that cool um, level of disassociation either. So, but yeah. Um, so I would say in this episode, at least, I think the Tosians are a, a massive hit because they're a cool sci-fi concept that's very out there. And they were, as you alluded to, they were a very alien concept for a Star Trek series where, you know, Giving somebody pointy ears or a ridgy head couldn't look make them look alien. It looked mm. at least a little bit more imaginative than that. So yeah, there you go. Uh, and the final thing on my list then is the character of Vina, hit or miss. Here <clears throat> uh, in what context? <laughs> Whatever context you like. <laughs> uh, miss. I, again, I'll get into it in the review. But so it, you, it's a miss for me. So suffice to say, you're probably seeing appearance-wise hit, character-wise, probably a bit of a miss. Absolutely. Okay. I don't want to well, get too far in, into in, it. In, in yeah. terms of dialogue, in terms of motivations, we'll, we'll get okay. there. Okay. I, I, again, I, I will probably... I can't really say too much here because I'll get into it later, but I think the character's a hit, but I'm probably going to agree with a lot of your potential mm. criticisms and bugbears, but yeah. I like the the idea of the character and especially the kind of big reveal at the end that I'll touch on later. So I'll say hit. Um, okay. Yeah, since it's we went over, sorry, go ahead. Cool to do the hit and miss in it when uh, you have yeah. to do it when, based on the one episodes that we're actually reviewing. It's it's well, a unique circumstance. I mean, in the in the case of most of these things, the last sort of few things, there's only this one episode for a while that we had. I mean, in terms of mm-hmm. Vina, there's only this and then one Discovery episode that she's barely in. So there's not really, I don't have much more than you to go off, you know what I mean? So, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that case anyway, so yeah. Uh, regardless, since we went through that one quite quickly, one thing I did want to ask your opinion of, because again, it's easy to forget sometimes how things that became iconic started out. So would you say the transporter is a hit or a miss? <laughs> I think the special yeah. effects for them looked quite good and hold up surprisingly time. well. For the time, absolutely, and they did that apparently by having glitter in a ball that was stirred around, uh, oh, and then nice. filming it a ball of water or something, and then filming that and compositing it on or something along those lines. Um, that's, yeah, that's ingenious. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, and I just love the idea. Like I said, the, the fact that for a cost cutting method, it, it, it's something that's become part of consciousness in a thousand different other things and stuff now, and yet it originated here, and Star Trek's responsible for it, which I think, yeah, really cool. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so. That will conclude the hit or miss section. (laughs) Uh, We'll move on now to the actual bulk of the analysis. We'll begin analysis, which is what I call this, uh, of the actual episode proper. Uh, And as I've said, and as we've made perfectly clear, we're reviewing the episode The Cage, the original series pilot. Uh, I have seen this many a time. Will has seen this approximately maybe once or twice. (laughs) Never before. (laughs) Um, So with that in mind, Will... 
spoiler-free as possible, what are your sort of overall general thoughts on the cage? Good, but flawed. Okay. Three words, there we go. That's spoiler-free enough. That's fantastic, yeah. Um, yeah, talking about earlier about the effects. Yes. I was going to praise the effects anyway. It wasn't um, like the special edition or whatever it, that was on Dana Motion. It wasn't shoddy at all, and it looks really good, the, the new effects. Mm. And uh, the scene I was actually alluding to originally is the opening sequence where we see the uh, Starship Enterprise, and then we go through the bridge glass. Yep, I knew you were going to say that. I, I made the exact same note. I love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> In the Netflix version, it kind of you can see where the edit was because yeah. it was a bit, it was like TV static. It was just white and black, like dots just really popping. And I just thought, eh. But then in the actual remastered version, it was really smooth. Yeah. And even if the ship model exterior was all over the place in the sequence and the transition was a bit fuzzy, as I said, I really like how they still attempted this. Mm. They didn't need to. But considering this was the pilot, and of course they needed to wow the television network, ironically, the fact that they went above and beyond to have little moments like this, when they really didn't need to, is applaudable from a creative standpoint. And I just thought it looked really good in the remastered version again. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I like the original idea behind it anyway. I think it was perhaps a bit ambitious from what they could achieve because it is just zoom into where the bridge is on the model and then quickly stick over, you know, the... the um live action image as quickly as you can but it's not composited super well um but again the updated effects improve that immensely and yeah. yeah i just think it's it's so genius none of the other shows have done it they've all done zoom ins through windows and stuff but they haven't done that cool thing where you break the fourth wall i guess of like zooming into where the bridge is and then showing you what it actually looks like inside so that you can in your own head place on the model of the ship where they're sitting and stuff um mm. which, you know it's really really cool and it's a shame that i think that a lot of the people that first saw the series would have missed that because this wouldn't have been the first thing that goes out. I mean, they would have seen it eventually because it's in the Menagerie yeah. episode. But again, I think it's a really cool touch that, you know, that's is where the action's taking place. And I wish we saw a little bit more of stuff like that, even in the modern Star Trek. Um, yeah. there's ships I can look at your there. profile picture now without thinking that's a woman. <laughs> that's a woman <laughs> with heavy male prosthetics. That is Meg Wiley playing the Keeper. Indeed, that is no <laughs> as voiced woman. by oh, I can't remember uh, Malachi Throne, the actor who does the voice. Mm. <sighs> <Fair> <sighs> How do I know this? Because I'm a nerd. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I like that initial effect. The initial one's fine. The upgraded effect is, is brings it up even higher. So yeah. Mm. Um, yep. So the next scene I was going to mention, we'll perhaps just go back and forth here uh, on our notes. Then no the next thing I wanted to mention was that again I've already alluded to it, but I love the scene in. Uh, Pike's quarters when he's talking to Dr. Boyce and he's yes. just so exhausted and world weary. And, uh, you know, he, you can see the weight of command on him. He actually cares, which I think is that morality that some people leaned toward about that character. He's like, he's tired of making the decisions about who goes and who might potentially live. And he, he's feeling the loss of the men that died on their previous mission that we only ever get glimpses of. Um, yeah. And again, I love the dialogue in that scene between him and the doctor. You know, mm -hmm. the doctor serving him a martini because people tell their bartenders things they don't tell their doctors. And um, I, I love the fact that it's basically setting up all of Pike's illusions, if you pay attention. Because when he's suggesting the other places to go, he says he might go home to his horses or he might become a trader on the Orion system or whatever. And it is. It's all the things that we see later um, mm -hmm. that he decides are not for him because he wants to live his life better. Um so, yeah, again, that's really, really cool. And just as a random side note, this is one of the most notable updated effects as well because 
I don't know if they were intending to do something with this, but in the original version that you'd have watched, there's a uh, just a blue screen behind Pike on his bed, um, and it looks mm. really weird. And in the enhanced effects version, they've actually made it a window, so the stars going by behind it, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, well, you said that's the most noticeable. I didn't even notice it was a blue screen. <laughs> oh, it, it's really jarring to me because it is—it's just a blue square behind him, and I'm like, well. What was what's, was that supposed to be? Something? What's it about? <laughs> yeah, I'd have yeah. to rewatch. Maybe I just thought that was like wallpaper or something. I don't know. I suppose you could just assume it's decorative, but the fact that it's nothing, I was like, it's so. Yeah. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> uh, so, what was your yeah. next note? Anyway, moving on from that, or do you uh, agree uh, or disagree with me about quickly, that thing? Yeah. That was a really good point, and uh, it was a well-written scene for the exact points you just made. But I was more impressed with the fact that you just offered him a martini. <laughs> that, yeah. that just seemed really surreal to me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was a part of the hit or miss section. Jeffrey Hunter, I'd say he was decent throughout. Uh, I know I did give him a miss, but it was a soft miss, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, there was little bad about his performance, but he just didn't capture me in this, at least. As an actor, um, competent of much more, he seems very one note. I mentioned mm. him solely as, of course, he was a lead performer in this pilot. That being said, I do like how he was written as, yeah. the, ant- uh, as the antagonist, sort of, at the start where he didn't want to follow up on the distress signal to then yeah. be broken down piece by piece once they eventually do. It prove, uh, proves his earlier point right, sort of, but uh, it shows that no matter what, empathy always reigns supreme one way or another, and I believe yep. that's one of the themes of this pilot, empathy for the universe and its people. 100%. I made the exact same note that it's um, it's it's Pike's world weariness that interests me, but it's also really telling that as soon as he learns that there are survivors, he doesn't hesitate. He immediately sets course, even though he doesn't want to, um, which again, like you said, it, it is that, that tall point is the empathy. You've got to care about other people and even uh, what might have been his most selfish. He still cared, which is a, a small little touch, but an important one. Um, but again, I see uh, j- just to, to your point, I can see where you're coming from in terms of why you might not have loved the performance because there's not a lot of dynamism to it for the majority of the episode because the whole point is that he's supposed to be so worn down and beaten and kind of sick of the universe. Um, so I can see where you're coming from with that. It's not perhaps the greatest idea to have started your series yeah. with your lead sick of things that you've never seen. Um, so I don't think you're completely like bang out of order saying I, that. I do like how it alludes to different things though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the the creatures, the aliens, kind of alludes to a death Yes, his, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure what deaths whether it was like a family. But I just assumed, given the context of the story and what he was saying at the start, that I may have been a crew member that I really liked. Or something it was like that. Um, well, they say that there's. It, it's when they later go to the illusion places, you see what happened vaguely, and it was the Rigel Seven, which was the place with the. What should be a really scary dude, but it is just a dude in like a Russian hat with sharp teeth, <laughs> effectively. Yeah. Um, but they say that, yeah, they hadn't expected to run into those people and two or three people had been killed, including his original yeoman, which is the role that the, hmm. as you say, the ginger lass is replacing. Um, so it is like, that. Yeah. that's like his personal secretary, I guess, for want of a, a less sexist term. Hmm. Um, so he is kind of feeling that loss, I think, a little bit as well. Uh, and that's kind of where that comes from. Uh, but that's why I think that's why it's cool that you get a little bit of that, but then the Talosians leap onto that straight away as, Ooh, what if you actually had a damsel in distress and you could save her this time and it was different. And uh, ultimately, like I said, the, the conclusion at the end of it is, well, it's not real. So you got to live life. <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm not a fan of the slight dip to blacks. They did when they engaged in the pursuit for the survivors. Of- I have a, I have a note about that as well. That's another yeah. thing that um, 
maybe it's just because I'm more used to like the Doctor Who frantic pace, especially of the Eleventh Doctor era. But mm. if the crew were moving more, it'd be less tacky, in my opinion. Mm. How I would have done it, like if I was up to offer a fix, I would have it dip uh, completely to black, and mm. then as it uh, comes back from black, like they they're moved a bit. So like you could have the um, Christopher Pike like move around and be like in control, but mm. rather you just see him stare into the wilderness or yeah. the atmosphere or whatever you want to say it. And um, yeah, it's in the sequence too. We see a bit of sexism, which I'm kind of on the fence about. Ah, uh, I yes, it. it's a yeah. product of his time, but come on, this hasn't aged well. At no, all. I agree. Uh, I completely agree. I didn't want to get into that because it's part of my kind of conclusion, but I completely agree with you. Um, but to your point, in terms of um that scene that you didn't like, I'm with you. And yeah. it's another thing that they improve, which immensely makes the updated effects version better because what they do there is skip all of this dipping in and out of black and show you the crew. And they just cut away to outside of the ship and show you the ship actually traveling. Because that, that was what I wanted. The lies yeah. were, when I was watching that, I was like, I don't have a fix in my head, but that's how, why I would have wanted. I just thought, are they going to cut away to the actual uh, like planet coming into shot or something? And I just thought yeah. that was a missed opportunity. In the end, they do. The updated version shows you the Enterprise actually traveling through space and coming into orbit of the much better looking planet. So again, it's a fix that I think really improves because uh, I don't know if they were planning on doing that and didn't. And that's why that original scene is like it is. But yeah, even I was like, why are you just fading to the blackness of space? And it's it's like you want to show us that the journey happened but the passage of time, but it's a very weird scene. Anyway, the uh, the slow reveal of Vina, the kind of like gorgeous woman music, and the sort of ooh, it's all it's really super cliche. It's effective, but it's kind of like yeah, maybe tone it down a little bit. You know, Um, in her actual introductory scene. Yeah, well, because they they meet the survivors camp, and it's like oh wow, we can't believe there's apparent survivors. Weird. (laughs) It's really weird. Like we get introduced to the supposed travelers who uh, put up the distress call. Yeah, but um. Considering what we find out shortly after about them, it's safe mm. to say this is a pilot plays with some really interesting concepts like holograms, psychic beings, mind control, mm. and of course the Christian subtext like Adam and Eve and stuff. Yes. Uh, but Susan Oliver's introduction as Vina is odd, and she and she and Captain Pike just awkwardly stare each, at each other. Yeah. And though it's justified after the first twist that she wasn't actually the human version of herself, rather just a hologram, I believe, or an illusion. I really like that twist yeah. and that she led him to the Megamind villains. Yeah. Uh, but whilst we're on the Megamind villains, I do like their design and how the little often pulsating bit of skin towards the yes. back of the head was a neat touch. I don't I'm know not how sure they did if this that. A conscious decision or if the costumers um, of the costumers or if it was just a flimsy bit of the costume that gave way to the no, tiniest it's... bit of gust. It's deliberate, you can see, because it's where the vein part going up the brain is, and it's whenever they talk yeah. that pulsates. It but was again, really that's, that's something that I, even I didn't think about, because you just think, oh, it probably is easy. But again, for the time, I doubt it was. And it yeah. is really like, oh, how did they do that, you know? Hmm. <laughs> Nowadays, it would be like two seconds on a computer, wouldn't it? But anyway, yeah. I found all I like it a lot. <laughs> um, I do love that the... Um, this is a piece of directing that I pointed out because I think it's just A+, plus. is the reveal of the um, Talosians by panning out from the survivor's encampment and then showing their screen and then them watching. It's really yeah. cool, like horror movie-esque kind of stuff. Uh, mm, you yeah. see some similar in Aliens. And that was yeah. many years afterwards. That was like two decades. And I was just like, yeah, I really like this. like Because I know Doctor Who did it for the first time in, like classic, uh, in Modern Who. And I thought, the fact that they're doing something that 
Doctor Who could only achieve in the 2010s, but yeah. they're doing this in like the 60s. I just thought, wow. Yeah. Again, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a pilot and there's going to be a minimal m- budget. Yeah. But the fact that they still did that just to wow people, I just thought, you got to commend them. They, they put effort into it. Yeah, I would definitely say the direction is uh, is hundred percent on this. So, did you? Have... I wouldn't say it's flawless, but it's 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 good. Well, for the time, I think it does things that are really commendable. But did you have any uh, any next note? Um, I do like the whole interrogation scene, sort of between Captain Pike and the Talusians. Mm-hmm. Uh, written, edited really well. Though I didn't realize there was a top of the cave where Pike was being held until later. So I just <laughs> thought, why doesn't he just jump over the glass? Because if you actually look at um, like the back shot where he's kind of like looking at the cave, but it's behind oh, him, and yeah. it's like the really wide shot. The, the, there's a roof of the cave, but it's really high up. And if I noticed it, like on the Netflix version, you can see like the edge of the glass. Uh, maybe it was like superimposed or like the it was lowered in one scene, but higher up in the other just to get the uh, feeling of. Like, oh, this is a big place. But yeah. I actually saw the top of the glass. Maybe it was just my eyes deceiving me, or if it may have just been the glass, like if there was an emergency actor just saying, uh, jump over this bit of glass. But yeah. I actually noticed that, and I just thought, that's not good. Like, you shouldn't I, be able to see flaws in the yeah. set design. But I did. I can see where you come from, and I agree. I think um, th- this whole period, I think, is there's a section where it kind of does show the limitations of the time. And part yeah. of that is the actual, the titular cage, because, yes, it's painfully apparent he's just on a, like, cardboard-constructed set with a fake kind of perspexy glass wall and a fake rock wall behind him. And mm. that's why I kind of prefer it when it gets to the illusion parts, because, you know, that's when you oh, get a absolutely. real sense of scale and it, it can be anywhere and anything and it makes more sense. But... Related to that, I was curious about your thoughts on the actual alien menagerie because, for me, again, mm. that showed the limitations of what the show could do because you get a glimpse of, like, a gorilla creature and a bird creature and it kind of holds on them, and they look shocking. They look like yeah. modern-day fancy dress costumes, and I was like, ooh. I get what you were doing. Like, oh, they It's a product them. of his time, again. You've got to be a slightly leaning on these things. Yeah, 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 completely. I'm not, I'm not trashing the entire thing, but I do think... I don't know if that scene's necessary. We get in dialogue that they've been capturing other species to try to, you know, mate them, but humans are the most compatible or whatever else. And that scene to me just jars because it is like, oof. I like it. Oh, well, uh, well, fair especially enough. when uh, Christopher Pike's like strangling one and it kind of transforms into one of those. Yeah. yeah. That was a really good scene, but that's that, cool that being, at the end. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, I like how the creatures make their deductions on the human, uh, what the human would do. Like mm. we would to a rat. To have that yes. flipped onto our species is really interesting and a really good concept. Yeah, again, that's part of what I love about the story is it's uh, absolutely that. It's kind of, it, it, that's where I disagree with the network in that the whole point of it is, is that it's examining what it means to be human. And that's what Star Trek does at its best. And I think to apply to that, the simple sentence of give me more action, I, I think misses the point a little bit. But uh, yeah. yeah, anyway. Um, so the first, I think it's the first illusion we go to, is the one I mentioned earlier, where he flashes back to, it's called Rigel 7. Uh, and the reason mm. I wanted to bring this up again is that the matte painting of Rigel 7 is iconic, and I think it's gorgeous. Is um, that the one with the purple uh, planet in the, in the sky? Yeah, there's like a purple planet or a moon in the sky, oh, and you see what looks I like a castle. I love it. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. When you think that is, that is a painting that somebody did, that's not special effects or it's CGI really or anything. Amazing. And it looks so bloody good, you know? Yeah. Uh, on, a, yeah. on a slightly sourer note to that, though, as I've already mentioned, the actual 
supposed horrible barbaric creature is less impressive because it's just a dude in furs with bad teeth. They could have done a bit better. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, oh, what's his name? Um, Kalar. Oh, is it? Kalar. It's news to uh, me, but okay. <laughs> I, I believe it's Kalar. But Fair I do enough. have some, uh, f- like one or two notes just up to this point that yeah. you want me to read out. Go for um, it. I, I do like. I'm again. I wrote this a bit later on, and then I thought, no, that happened before. So I'm not sure where in the episode this happens. But okay. I do like the punishments, which makes me sound like a psychopath. Uh, yeah. But I added a little something to keep me on the edge of my seat in terms of, okay, everything is not comfortable. Pike can deduct and learn as he wants, but not without consequence. Yes. And um, particularly when he transported to like the fiery pit yes. and the wax-like liquid coming from Pike's arms is really grotesque. And I was blown away at how they executed that. It was fantastic, in yes. my opinion. That was another image that stuck in my head as a kid because it was it seemed a heck of a lot more terrifying when I was young than it is. But it's even still, I mean, clearly it is effective because it had the same kind of effect on you. Um, mm. And yeah, it does. It gives you those stakes because if the episode had just been, you know, here's everything you desire and Pike whining and like, eh, I don't want it. It would have been like, well, where's the stakes? But as soon as you introduce you know, do what we say or we're going to punish you with our ability to yeah. give you anything. And then again, it's it's little single lines that are really chilling, which is um, that they say, uh, this is from a fable you heard about in childhood, but from deeper in your mind, there are things even more unpleasant. I was like, you didn't even mm. need to show us anything. The very idea of that is just like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, to get back to you, like the point you were at, I do really like the whole scenery switches. Yeah. Not only do the teleportation slash holographic wall transitions look really cool, yeah. but it's hard to fold the backdrops, as you mentioned, especially the one with the pink and purple sky with the planet taking up a lot of the skyline. Yes. It looks really great, and that's where I kind of get to the negatives, but that was a massive positive. And the fact that it's a painting and mm. not just like, I don't know, a PNG uh, just image like on a big sheet of paper is like amazing. Or cloth, or whatever you want to say. But yeah, I would say I would say the same thing personally as well about the scenes in when they're having a picnic and they're in Mojave because that's where Pike's yes. from, and they actually have the futuristic city in the background and mention that this used to be a desert, but now it's a and again it's a painting of like a futuristic city. But for me, it completely sells it. Uh, um, so not as well as this one, in my opinion. I, I'm on board with it, but that again, you might prefer the updated version because again, the updated effects improve it. Which I I yeah. personally miss the original matte painting in that scene. But again, you might think, oh, it's cool having the CGI actual feature city there. It looks better. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I think that's just something that's worth noting because people can can technically compare and contrast and see which they prefer. (laughs) So there you go. Mm. Um, I thought the method of uh, Pike killing the actual barbarian dude was actually pretty clever, like making him fall onto the spear that you just sort of stand upright. Um, Mm. But naturally, there was no blood because, you know, (laughs) network television. Um, The choreography was really impressive in that scene. It was. Uh, so then, yeah, moving back on to where I was, sorry, which was the kind of picnic scene. Um, I just made a note of some dialogue that I love, which is from Vina, where he says it's weird because she's not anything that he would recognize. And yet everything else is, you know, it's his horse and his hometown and stuff. And she just says, perhaps they made me out of dreams you've forgotten, which I thought was just a completely gorgeous bit of dialogue from absolutely nowhere. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's you know powerful stuff. <laughs> mm. um, but I like that the story in general reveals without like an exposition dump, it reveals through showing us and Vina telling Pike all about the Talosians' like telepathic powers and what they can do, the kind of tragic past of them and why they're doing this and their motivation. And then, as you already said, through the punishment, what the stakes are. Um, that mm. could quite easily have been like 
10 or 20 minutes of stopping everything and just expositing to the audience. But I think yeah. it's actually done really cleverly. So. And it's got some, I think you alluded to it just there. It's got some really good one-liners. Yeah. I don't have any examples, but it's just like, okay, in certain scenes, I find myself a bit bored. I think it could have got to the point a bit quicker in terms of just like um, pacing off like one scene to the next. Like, I'll get to it, but again, it's, the dialogue is a bit repetitive. But mm-hmm. uh, every now and again, you'd get a bit of line and you thought, oh, that line makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, I completely agree, actually, yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, I like as well that as we're learning, we also get to learn about the Talosians' limits quite early on if you're paying attention because yeah. they kind of force Pike with threats of punishment to consume the liquid and say that, you know, it can be whatever you want. It's, we can make anything appear as anything. But he points out that why can't they just put irresistible hunger in his mind then? Because uh, So obviously they do have some limits, which I think, again, is important to set up at that point in the story that there's some things they can't do. Otherwise, you're just left in this situation where you're like, well, they can do whatever they want. So why? how is he ever going to get out? And I do um, really like, uh, again, we mentioned it earlier, the fact that when he was strangling the, um, like the big bear or whatever it was, yeah. um, like he's not afraid by it because he knows what it can and can't do. So, yes, it may be a bear or whatever, but actually he knows it's, it's really that the, person. Yeah. He knows it's really the keeper, and he, he kind of says, doesn't he, yeah. you know, stop it or I'll just twist your neck off. <laughs> which, is, which is why originally, when I thought, okay, she's, like, she kind of disappeared, so uh, she's then, like, an apparition. But then later we find out she's actually a human, mm-hmm. and then she's a legitimate, breedable woman, uh, yeah. to put it non-obtusely, well, obtusely in this case. Um, <laughs> but um, I until we got to that point, I just thought, is he just going to have the porking session with a bloody Talusian and I thought, oh God, please don't tell me. This oh, you thought happening. she but might have Talusian, I see. Okay. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, this yeah. is a bit weird. <laughs> but then I found out, no, it was a human in some cases and I thought, oh, okay, this makes sense. We'll get but, to that at the end yeah. but that's because that's one of my sort of glowing things that I love about the episode, but yeah. we'll, we'll get there eventually because I'm uh, I'm trying to keep it vaguely chronological for the sake of both of our yeah. notes. But, uh, if, if you want me to go back though, I do have the point that I was like building up to about the dialogue. Go for it, yeah. Um, I really dislike a lot of the interactions between Pike and Vina, particularly from Pike. It's like he's always in denial about her existence, and then Vina mm. says, you'll feel it for the next 20 minutes. It's mm. insufferable, and whilst I realise that uh, she's trying to uh, seduce him, it doesn't translate for me, and uh, that portion of the episode does sort of drag for me, like the the flash, flashbacks are cool, or flash forwards, flash sideways, whatever, um, but they just go on for a bit too long. It doesn't add much in, term, in terms of anything other than spectacle. Because I think mm. the spectacle is fantastic. But other than that, it's just the f- same thing over and over again. And that's why I find the park scene later a big praise. I mm. gave it massive praise. Just because it does do something different. Mm. But for the like the purple moon uh, backdrop flashback or whatever... I was just left really unimpressed, except from the choreography, where which I thought was brilliant. But other than yeah. that, I think you could have caught that 15, 17, 18 minute portion of the episode and you wouldn't have lost much. Okay, um, fair enough. Uh, you've reminded me of something I should have mentioned as well, which is that I love, okay. I love how clever the dialogue is in the kind of picnic scene when they're trying to tiptoe around the kind of punishment and stuff. And she says something like, um, when she, he starts talking about them, he starts talking about the Talosians and she says, oh, do, do, have you forgotten I get terrible migraines? Like alluding to yeah. them. Um, and yeah, then yeah. at the very end, it's super, it's like whip smart that he says, you know, 
we may well start feeling for each other or feel for each other now, but if we have kids, you should be aware these headaches of yours will be hereditary kind of thing. And I was like, that's genius. It's a fantastic Yeah. So, yeah, again, it brings it to the forefront what the actual stakes are here, which is because you might think to yourself, well, just stay. She's, you know, eventually you learn she's human. She's going to look gorgeous. So, and you clearly have feelings. So why not just stay? And it's kind of like, because they would just enslave a species of kids and that ain't cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he um, kind of concede to that idea at the end. He says, you send these two back and then I will stay here like a yes. life for a life, a trade or something. And I thought that that was pretty good as well. But then yeah. of course, no one like, primes the device. And I think, yeah, that's good as well. Yeah. I, related to that, that was the other note I made is that Pike throughout the episode, he shows how moral he is because even when they take Vina away to punish her, uh, he specifically says to the Telosians, it's my fault, punish me instead of her, even when he knows what like how severe that punishment can be, uh, which mm. I think, again, is a key little, little moment that gives you everything you need to know about that character. I think he um, did lose it being the park scene as well. I, if you want me to jump forward, I do have a note about that. Well, that's like, not really forward, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I do have a scene just a bit before about the uh, cavern entrance when they're trying to blast through it. Oh, yes, of course. Like, the after, we, after we find out about the lack of destruction... Uh, it begs the question, why didn't the crew inspect the scene afterwards? Why not try to find any newfound vulnerabilities of the integrity after subjecting it to such a blast? Especially after the short monologue delivered, talking about the psychic control and how they shouldn't trust anything they can see. So go and touch it, is what I would, I would do. Go inspect well, it. After they stand up, they head in that direction. So what did they do? Were they just going towards it and then did didn't notice? I, I was so confused. That- that speaks to kind of it's it's not super clear what the limits of their telepathic powers are in that they can i think once something appears that way it's as good as real if you know what i mean yeah. um so until they actually revealed that the enterprise had broken through that cliff face it is effectively still there until they reveal that it's not um but again it's it's, but it's surely never super clear an illusion is something that is there mm. but you shouldn't be able to touch unless it's actually physical so how maybe i'm getting the definitions wrong but an illusion isn't something that's real it's like a ghost that you can see but you can't touch which is why i kind of get weirded out with some of how they executed it in this but it was in that scene in particular where i just thought "Eh." i think you kind of have to accept though that it's not just it's not just like an appearance of things like you said like a ghost or a spirit or a hologram because like he interacts with his horse and you can touch stuff and it, yeah. it seems real. So clearly it has got some kind of physical form. And like I said, I think it's it's a question of like at the very end when he blasts the hole through, it's really clever that he says, I'm willing to bet I've blasted a hole, but you're not letting me see it. That was good. Um, but it, he has to get them to reveal it. He can't just walk up to it and put his hand through because it would technically not be there till he points out that he's done it, if that makes sense. Um, uh, so. No. one thing that i did love was the um again it's dialogue that has to do a lot of explaining and i've written it down because i thought it was really good which is the that vina mentions that the telosians specifically picked pike because he he matches her dreams of a perfect man and that's why they picked him so she can't help but love him and that's why pike pike sort of says you know he he would be attracted to her back he does feel it and it is that kind of there's a lot of reference to even if something's real you can feel it and is that enough which is a big sort of philosophical question that mm. this episode does. It's not really interested in answering, but it, at least it poses, you know, um, yeah. which is cool. So um, uh, agreed. unless you have any more, uh, I was up to the, the next scene, which was the scene with the Orions, uh, the Orion slave girl, the green dancing lady. 
<laughs> oh, um, but no, I, I just on to the end now, so you can go for it. Well, I get why that stuff's here, I will say, thematically, in that they've tried to show Pike everything from, you know, saving a weak woman to having the kind of perfect Stepford wife. And now it's like, well, you know, we can even do this. You can have this exotic, wild, crazy sexual fantasy woman if you want, even. even. Um, so I get why it's there, but I still think through modern eyes, it's still a bit sexist. Why um, is she although, green? Because she's an Orion. It's all color there. But Why? <laughs> Because they're aliens. <laughs> it looks like oh. a female Shrek. <laughs> oh, dude, how dare you? <laughs> that, that Orion slave girls became iconic. These have been the fantasies of a thousand sweaty nerds for five decades. <laughs> it's green. Yeah, but it's cool. It looks alien. But yeah, I, do, I still think <laughs> it's it's fantastically directed and played out, but it's just a bit too overly sexist, um, especially when they start talking about how they like being taken advantage of and stuff. It was like, very uncomfortable. Um, but I do love that Pike again shows his morality because he rejects even that like ultimate forbidden fantasy. He like runs out of it, which I think is really, really cool. Um, less cool again, I've mentioned, I alluded to breaking the Enterprise women down into breeding partner compatibility. I get that that's the point, um, but it's just super sexist. Is like number one would be able to give you intelligent kids and you think she doesn't like you, but she does. And the yeoman is young and strong and she has strong female drives. And I, I saw like, it more yeah. as opposed to like female like characteristics. I just thought more of like genes. I saw it more yeah. scientifically as opposed to actual sexism because I just thought, yes, this is a thing that happens. G- okay. Genes like gets passed on. So I, I get your point, but as you did say, it's kind of the point of the story. Yeah. So to allude to the advantages of one or the other, you could say it's sexist, but I, I don't see it as that. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, we're getting into the end now. So again, I do love the reveal that the ship laser did work and the, you see the difference, however it, however logically it may be. Um, and again, I've mentioned I love how forceful but calm number one is, that she's willing to kill them all rather than live as slaves. Uh, yeah. And this is one of my favorite parts. I think the dialogue here is just fantastic between them when um, the Tullosians realize when they're looking through the Enterprise databanks that, oh, you hate being held captive, even if it's pleasant, so you're no good for us. And then Pike complains, like, oh, not even an apology. And the other Tullosian guy says, well, your un- incompatibility has doomed us to extinction. Is that not enough? And I was like, wow, this is surprisingly deep for, uh, like, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's easy to see all sides of this, even the guys who are clearly the, the baddies, I guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can, and I like that, again, despite being villains, they're kind of still more moral because Pike wants to help them and says, well, we can we can agree some kind of exchange pattern and we can try to help. And he says, the Talosian Keeper just says it will be no good because you would learn our power of illusion and destroy yourself as well, and we don't want that to happen. Which, mm-hmm. again, it, it, it's a surprise amount of depth to what could be a sort of, like, we will just destroy the universe type villain. Um, which I love. I like that. I, I remember being quite amazed by that as a kid. Um, I agree, but again, it's to do with the pace. Like a lot of the time is spent elsewhere. So when we actually get to like the conclusion, it kind of just has to get through it quickly. Right. So I think it's like an hour long uh, pilot, but mm-hmm. 55 minutes of that is like the build up. And then f- two minutes at the end, it's got to be um, like what happens next, like the, the moral of the story game yeah. uh, reinforced and then that leaves three minutes at the end to actually wrap everything up so that's why i think you could have cut oh, 10 15 minutes of uh, stuff that happened before just mm. to give a bit more time to like the escape as opposed to oh i bet you 
on let me see this escape oh there's the escape let's walk out of this place and leave. well yeah but they do actually point out that the only reason they let that happen is because they wanted them to be on the surface anyway so it's like mm. they, i would be with you like it's far too easy but again the Talosian points out when they get to the top well well done you're now on the surface where we wanted you anyway so now you'll begin living the lives we wanted for you kind of thing it's not like they're immediately beaming back to the ship and and they kind of do have to threaten death before they'll officially let them go um, the question i would then... have then how long were they trying to keep them in captivity before taking them outside that's that's the question that begs. Well, I think the point is they were trying to make him fall in love with Vina without realizing he kind of was already having those feelings. So it was mm. it was it, it was and a breeding type thing. It's basically like what they do when they chuck two pandas into an enclosed space and want them to, you know, mate. It was like, yo, you two get down to it. And then when you're <laughs> pregnant, you can get up to the surface and you can right. start having the kids, you know? Um Yeah. I do have another question that I kind of alluded to earlier and also probably in the DMs. This okay. Is Go for it. How is an illusion version of Captain Pike sufficient enough to impregnate a human and repopulate a species? It's not. If that was the case, what was the point of the story this pilot tells? It's that she no, had to lower his boundaries in order for the real him to do just that. It offers a happy ending, but when I was skimming, no. I thought, "Hold on a second, does that actually work?" You've hugely missed the point. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I have because I thought yeah. if this is what I think it is, it makes everything that just happened pointless. And I thought I no. must have missed something. So when you say that, I'm I'm like I'm not surprised, but I'm interested the, to know what it was. The Talosians are still doomed, but because, like I said, they've actually got a bit of a moral center to them. They don't want to leave Vina like with just nothing. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. give her it the, offers a happy ending, but how? It offers... <laughs> It offers a happy-ish ending for her. It doesn't really help them in any way. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, so he, he's not actually off to like impregnate her. It's no, just like a... it's just like she already mentioned. Like, like he's like her perfect man. So the Talosians are like, well, we'll just give her the illusion of her perfect guy, and you know that way she's not just going back down. Like, oh well, guess I'm just going to be stuck here alone again. Then, it so. didn't dwell on that feeling for me, or that's why I missed it. I... Like, if that was nowadays, you'd get a bit of um, I think it was music. perfect. I think it was perfect. I think it was, sold in, it was sold in the dialogue and the actual thing because, and again, I'll, I'll deal with it when I'm dealing with the next part, which is that I absolutely adore the Vina reveal because it was a true shock to me the first time that I watched this. And I think it's, it's so unexpected and so jarring and so impactful that you learn that she can't go with Pike and Co. And the reason why is that, Again, so much in just one line of dialogue, which is um, they rebuilt me and everything works, but they'd never seen a human before. And I was like, oh, fuck. The, the actual image that puts in your head is as but bad as the... Even sort. then, she doesn't even look dreadful for like a reconstructed human. So I just think... they She had pretty no much does. Dude. They had no reference to go by, but you still, if you look at that, you just say deformed human. You wouldn't say, what the hell is that? You'd still say human. Yeah, no, yeah, of, of course, but that's, I mean, they are humanoid. But they have nothing to go by, so... But they're humanoid, so they can see things that are on a basic level of, like, this is where legs go, this is where hands go, this is where our head goes. Sure, But sure. beyond that, it's like, they wouldn't have the first clue, which is why you end up with the kind of one arm lower than the other and a hunchback and, like, horrible, disheveled face that you don't quite know what's going on there and stuff. But um, And she's older, of course, which, ooh, heaven forbid. But, um, yeah, I just <laughs> love that reveal because... Again, it's it's nice. It shows the morality of the Talosians that they were like, well, we only show you this because we wanted you to know that her desire to stay was honest. Um, and then again, so much in so little dialogue, which I, I completely got even as a kid, which is like um, 
Pike actually caring for her just says, will you give her back her illusion of beauty? And the keeper replies, yes, and more. And that's when you see the illusion of Pike that she's now got to leave with. And I was like, oh, that is so, yeah. that's so brilliant and so fantastic. But um, even if you don't like it, I will say that that's not the end of Pike and Vina's story. Uh, but And leave it there in case you ever do get to watch the original series. I will, um, I will. Or beyond. But um, yeah, I love that ending. I think it's really nice because it shows, uh, w- again, what you alluded to earlier, there's just a lot of empathy on display here, even after all of the conflict and the kind of evil behavior and stuff. And even though the Talosians are, you know, scum that have been kidnapping species and stuff, in the end, they almost, I guess, come good because they care enough about Vina and, like, you know, she can now appear beautiful and have her perfect man. And, uh, you know, even the last line of, she has an illusion and you have reality. I hope your path is just as good. And then we get back to the ship and very quickly have a quick line about how the Doctor is a perv and then off to new what would have been a cool adventures, but we never got them. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but talking about the ending, I do like the final bit on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It had some really funny moments before we go into the credits with a theme track that I really enjoyed listening to as the episode came to a close. I thought, what is this music? It was quite different to what was actually in the episode. So I thought, what is that music that kind of uh, rolls out the credits? I really name. like it. I think it's just the Star Trek theme, isn't it, by Alexander Courage? Is it? I could be wrong, but <laughs> I think uh, so. If, if I would have to is, look it up. Even if it is, or if it isn't, it was a really good piece of music, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, yeah, that was a good end, kind of. Again, I did miss the point a bit uh, by the sounds of it, um, but that last bit on the Enterprise, good stuff. Cool. And that wraps up my review. Uh, yeah, same. Um, but there was a, a slight, another kind of slight surprise, which is the next section that I always like to get into that's part of the episodes is Ooh. a section that I call Gene's Vision, which is that there's a lot of talk about Gene's Vision of Star Trek and what it actually means and the sort of the mighty ideology of Trek. Uh, and again, we've touched on a lot of these. So it's just a question of, of the things you've mentioned and what we've picked up on. What do you think represents that kind of Trek idealism that's present in this episode? I think uh, in terms of society as a whole, it can be very dismissive, can be very negative. Uh, but I think the overriding feeling of this episode is you've got to just do better. You've got to go for it if you're unsure about something or if you're nervous, you should just go for it. Uh, give it your all and do what's best and yes. don't be in denial about things. That's what I would say. And be empathetic, be kind. Completely. I, I totally agree. That's the point. Yeah. Life is always better than, you know, wallowing or an illusion. And that spirit of adventure is very Gene's vision-esque. And then, as you said, just have empathy for other life forms uh, is, is very present. But, yeah, the, the things that I've made a note of, I think, that I like that the, I think that that, that the Talosians are not sort of mushtas twirling visions um, is, is kind of a nice touch. And that's very Trek-esque, even though they're not perfect, obviously, but they have a bit more depth to them. Uh, and again, as you said, the idea that man will always desire freedom to kind of push their boundaries uh, and literally live their own life. Um, and then again, a bit of dialogue that explains that is when Vina's talking about the Talosians and says they found it's a trap like a narcotic because when dreams become more important than reality, you give up travel, building and creating, uh, which is basically that, that those are the things to strive towards, you know, the, the unique cool things that make us human. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I, again, I've mentioned I like that Pike actually cares about every one of his men. I like that we've got a strong female first officer, even if there is some sexism. Uh, I like the relationship between Pike and Boyce. I think it's very much a forerunner for Kirk and McCoy. 
uh, the kind of doctor mm. and the ship's captain. Uh, and yeah, that's literally. Is that uh, your conclusion, or is that your final note? <laughs> no, no, that's that's how it fits into Gene's vision. But I do have a gotcha. conclusion as well. Um, so what I'll do, I will get your conclusion and score, then give mine, and then I have the sort of audience interaction section, and then okay. we can wrap it up and go if that's okay. Nice. Yeah, that's um, fine. Uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, give your conclusion and score. Okay. The cage is a conceptually interesting pilot. Eve even if its execution is unremarkable. There are no standout performances, as I've said, in this one, which, looking at it one way, fine, it's their first attempt. But looking at it from the other way, such an important episode to get right, you'd think the actors would have given it a bit more. It's often really nice to look at. It's ambitious, and uh, though flawed in quite a few cases, the most notable being the pace is really solid. Though, as I said previously, unremarkable piece of television, kind of. It wasn't televised, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I was being really critical, I'd probably give this around the three star mark, which is probably what I would give it if I had to choose either between a three or a four star rating. But I'm going to give it a middle of those two stars because I do like it. For, uh, so that gives it a final score of 3.5 stars out of five. That's a score from you, not the final score. But yes, yeah, so you're going 3.5. Uh, score from me, yeah. Yeah, three point five out of five. That's fair play. Um, again, I've written my conclusion as as you'll know if you've been listening by now. I always have it written, so apologies. It'll sound like I'm reading it off, but truly iconic, historic work of intelligent, introspective science fiction. So of course the network hated it. This is quintessential Star Trek. It's not about pew pew lasers or flashy space battles with no depth. It takes big swings, creates big ideas, and asks big questions. Sure, it's a little rough, and some may find it boring but it absolutely captivated me as a child. The visuals, acting, direction, and the far-out ideas really captured my imagination. Uh, I think it mostly still holds up, even over 50 years later, except the sexism. Uh, and though it's not perfect, it holds just a dear place in my heart. Acting, directing, makeup, effects for their time all updated, and central big ideas that I just think are transcendent, transcendent good uh, still remind me of my first exposure to the genre I love that really hit me and led to much more and which I still find thrilling to watch every time. Uh, so for me, I said 4.5 out of 5. Lovely uh, stuff. Which, of course, uh, the average there would be quite easy to work out. So the final score for the podcast for The Cage would be 4 Starfleet Deltas out of 5, because we go with Starfleet Deltas. Ah, we're not doing stars, stars now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I do Deltas, but it's the same kind of thing. It's the Starfleet symbol, basically. So uh, gotcha. that would be the final score would be 4, and that would place this at... Second place on the current leaderboard, uh, directly between Lower Dex's No Small Parts and Encounter at Farpoint uh, from Next Gen. So, yeah, uh, the final section, as per usual, will be the what I call the subspace communication section, uh, which you could just call audience interaction if you were less of a, a Trekkie nerd. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, as again, as I've done every week, I sort of put out a tweet asking, what are your opinions on the cage and maybe some questions like when was the first time you watched it and what kind of impact did it have? Um, and I did have a few replies to this. And the first person who responded was at Roarbirch333, um, who just says, I must have been in my teens and it may have been a BBC special. I seem to remember it being a big thing. Might have been an anniversary special. Anyhow, too cerebral? I don't think so. But that's me looking back on it some 40 odd years later. It's better than the other pilot, in my opinion. So there we What's go. What's the other pilot like in your opinion? Uh, this is far superior. Oh, the okay. other, the other one is just nonsense. Quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't love it. It just gets silly. But anyway, um, at the Metal Hoovian uh, replies, I got to watch that again. It's been years since I've watched it. 
Short and to the point. <laughs> yeah. At, at Mr. Underscore G Ward, who's been a regular contributor to here and to our screen podcast, uh, says, mm. first saw it on VHS in the early 90s, I believe. Found it fascinating for the differences, but by then I was so used to the Kirk crew, it was nothing more than a curiosity. But it grew on me, though. So Nice. At John Heroes says, well, the paper reports were funny. Just seemed like another episode of Star Trek. Pretty impressive stuff and laser guns for the time. Yeah, some anachronistic things, I think, lasers and paper reports and stuff, but still cool. Uh, and finally, on Facebook, I got a reply by Julie O'Neill Wilson, a.k.a. <laughs> a.k.a. my mum, the reason that I first saw and loved hey. this episode. And she said, I loved it, son. I saw the menagerie and thought it was a great comeback to the original episode. It was a tearjerker and Spock putting his job on the line to protect and secure the future of his former captain, as we see through the whole original episodes. No emotion, Spock. Who are you kidding? So, yeah. Mm. My mum loves herself a bit of Star Trek, the original series, as you can probably tell from that. So... I think that's the first time she's ever like contributed for that section. Oh, at least like in terms of big screen, he'll miss all this. She doesn't she... really like a lot of stuff. So, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> she's uh, she's not a huge. Well, she does, but it's all stuff that we wouldn't necessarily be covering. It's like old movies or uh, old TV and stuff. But maybe that's for a future series of the big screen. Old maybe, movies, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I know she's uh, she is as the one that introduced me to Star Trek, and she loves at the very least the original. I think I got it to next gen as well. Anyway, so that'll conclude this particular episode. I hope it was enjoyable for you all, uh, and we've all enjoyed revisiting the cage. So, yeah. You did along with us. Um, and Will, it just remains Hello. me to ask, therefore, so this was the, you've already basically answered this, but this was the first Star Trek you've seen. Has it led you with a desire to watch more? Are you intrigued? I am definitely intrigued. I'm not, again, I'm going to say it's not the best uh, in terms of like just general episodes that I've ever seen. And mm. I'm sure you'd say the same. It's not like, top five amazing things of all time um but it is intriguing and i will be watching more cool well i should point out as well to the audience that the reason that you watch this is because will insisted on going in chronological order of release and even though this wasn't officially released it is kind of the first thing so it made sense um mm. but yeah Again, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that because I don't think the original series is necessarily the strongest place to start with but mm. uh it's it has some really excellent fantastic episodes and some just absolute trash unfortunately yeah. but uh yeah we'll see i personally i've, I've always as you, i've said it before on the podcast i'm always more about the next generation but that's just me <laughs> yeah. um so yeah that will wrap us up for this week uh join us again next week where i'm joined by kelly quantrill at keltrill on twitter and we are going to be reviewing an episode of star trek discovery uh, entitled magic to make the sanest man go mad uh, and I'll be mm. back with the uh, with the usual hit or miss section and all of the the other things and getting to know Kelly's uh, association with Star Trek as well. So do join us for that. Uh, and in the meantime, Will, do you have anywhere you wanted to uh, to have people uh, contact you on the social medias or anything? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm so sorry to any Trek fans that I may have offended with my opinions. Not at all. I, I, where, I, where I'm is completely it? ignorant of <laughs> this world. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know, Michael, you've said several times that you know, I haven't like uh insulted anyone with my opinions. No. So um yeah, you can give me a follow on Instagram, I suppose. Um it'll be in the description on I guess. Uh but yeah, I'm not on Twitter. Well I am on Twitter, but not like publicly. Uh but yeah, Instagram if you want to hear more from me and just my real life shenanigans, I suppose. <laughs> um but yeah, 
thanks for listening i guess thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed me and michael's discussion yeah i, I did i really enjoyed it and i should also uh, i'll take the opportunity to plug our other endeavor which is the hit or miss the big screen podcast uh, which mm-hmm. you can find on youtube or at screen underscore podcast on twitter uh, that will be returning with episodes soon ish but there's a, yeah. a good few episodes there to catch up on if you haven't, which I think I'm really proud of. I think we both did really Oh, I think well. the episodes we've done so far are all, at the very least, very good. You can find me at Iron Mike Wilson on Twitter or obviously follow the podcast at HomTrek, H-O-M-Trek. Uh, and yeah, join us again next week. And thank you so much for joining me, Will, and for delving, uh, nice. dipping your toe into this mad world of 802 episodes and yeah, thanks for introducing 13 movies so uh oh, yeah <laughs> i will catch you soon and uh, in the meantime remember we are starfleet live long and prosper